It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Mike LaRue, president and CEO of ILF Canada. Mike leverages over 15 years of experience in engineering and consultant and leading cross-functional teams to overcome project and organizational challenges. With ILF, Mike has held various titles and before taking over as CEO, he served as the Director of Projects and Strategic Growth and as a project manager respectively, leading and overseeing the functional project support teams for ILF Canada. Prior to ILF, Mike was a project manager and piping stress and materials engineer at Ridgeline Engineering and Worley Parsons, respectively. Mike is a member of several industry associations, including the Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta, Engineers and Geoscientists of British Columbia, and the Project Management Institute. He holds a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Saskatchewan and an MBA from Queen's University. Mike LaRue, welcome into the corner office. Thanks for having me today. Ah, great to have you here. And I know you, it's been a very, very busy season for you. And it's uh, great that we could find some time. I know we spoke a month or two back. And gosh, we're recording this in mid-April. It's going to be coming out sometime in the summer. So uh, it'll be a lot warmer. I'm sure we're up where you are as well as where I am. But uh, tell us a little bit about how things are going uh, during these, as we go into, I guess, year two now of our pandemic uh, times there. Are things starting to brighten up in Canada? And you know, how are you doing personally through this uh, very interesting period of our lives? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think uh, you know, here in Alberta, uh, we're uh, we're heading into uh, into uh, our, our third phase, I guess, of, yeah. of of peak, where we're a little bit behind uh, our neighbors to the south um, right, right. in the, in the U.S. Uh, so we are uh, we're still we're still under some pretty heavy restrictions and uh, and experiencing some. No unfortunate, uh, you know, peaks again in uh, in COVID cases. Have vaccinations started up there? Is that starting to become more of a reality for many of your? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, vaccinations on uh, on vulnerable population and the elderly and uh, right. and healthcare workers, you know, started, I believe, about two months ago, and right. Um, right. so the general population, uh, my age group, for example, forty and over, is uh, is. Uh, you know, we're, we're able to get our vaccines now. So mine's actually this afternoon. Oh, right. Okay. Um, Good for you. Yeah. So it's, it's starting, but it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, rolling out slower than, uh, than, uh, you know, than a lot of us would hope. And, uh, you know, businesses are still, you know, like say under, 
heavy restrictions. And for the most part, uh, you know, 90% of our staff are working from home full time. Um, there are some folks in part time for business continuity reasons, right, right. but uh, it's, uh, you know, downtown Calgary is pretty, pretty quiet right now. Right, right. Well, as we go into the second or third phase, as the case may be, let's just hope and pray things continue to get better. And that light at the end of the tunnel isn't another train coming at us because we've, <laughs> we've had been able to dodge a few of these last year or so. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about you now. I know you're based in Alberta. Is that home for you or where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your early days. So uh, I actually, I grew up on a, on a small uh, hobby farm in northern hmm. Saskatchewan. Oh, and, wow. Um, and uh, so my father was a was a high school teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, had a had this hobby farm, uh, you know, about fifteen miles from uh, from the town where we uh, where he taught, and uh, right. so that that's you know that was home from uh, you know the the early seventies up until uh, you know I, I moved away and uh, uh, lived in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for uh, I don't know from nineteen ninety five I guess yeah. up into. Uh, you know, at the end of my, uh, you know, university in 2008 and moved to Calgary. So brothers and sisters growing up one younger brother. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's five, five years younger than I am. Right. He's a oil field mechanic, uh, cool. south, south of, uh, south of Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. So, uh, yeah. And for those of our listeners who may not have heard of a hobby farm before, tell us a little bit about what that means. Yeah. So it's, you know, it was about, uh, you know, Two uh, two quarter sections of land. Uh, it mm-hmm. was an organic. It was an organic farm. Wow. So you know, in the early eighties, uh, having an organic farm that was uh, quite ahead of its time. Yeah, very much. And uh, and uh, you know, my my father is uh, you know is a self proclaimed and and well lived it. He's he's essentially a hippie, and uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, so. But a very, very driven man, very hardworking, uh, yeah. you know, very hardworking parents. And so, uh, you know, he would do his teaching during the day and, uh, you know, jump on some wow. you know, pretty, uh, pretty old farm equipment to, uh, to tend to the land. And um, so, yeah, we had a, we had a little bit of everything. So it was a grain farm, uh, you know, traditional, uh, traditional cereal crops. And uh, then we also had a really big, uh, really big garden uh, to to feed the family right. and extended family and right. um, you know chickens and ducks and goats and <laughs> I mean pigs and like you know we 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 tried everything we had a little bit of everything so was it a commercial operation per se or or more for friends and family it was more for friends and family yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and mom helped out on the farm too or did she also have a career. Uh, or was mom, that her career? <laughs> that that was that was her career. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of uh, she was kind of voluntold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. This is what you need to do during the day when I'm in the yeah. classroom. Right? Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, you know, it worked for them, you know, but uh, yeah. it was certainly uh, a lot. It was a lot of work. I mean, you know, the the upbringing was uh, was certainly one of uh, you know you know long hours, lots of work. Right. Uh, you know, not right. many vacations, uh, and, um, you know, always busy. That's for sure. Any key lessons learned from those days that, uh, you know, you kind of applied later in life as you grew up? Um, you know, hard work pays off, you know, yep. you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, but also, uh, you know, uh, I think learning how to fail fast is, is, is better than, uh, you know, writing a bad, <laughs> writing a bad decision, uh, yep. you know, for, for too long. So, you know, that's certainly, uh, that would certainly be one of them. Now your dad was a school teacher. Were you actually, did you have him as a, as a teacher? I did. Another school. You did. No, I, oh I did. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, that <laughs> certainly is an interesting dynamic. Yeah. So he was, a uh, 
he was a junior high teacher. And so he, right. uh, he taught me for grade seven and, uh, and grade nine, no uh, for, for some classes. Yeah. So he was a French teacher and a phys ed teacher, health right. and social, su- social studies. So I had him for those classes. Yeah. How was that experience? Well, I mean, you know, you, uh, if you're getting disciplined in the classroom, you can be sure that you're going to be getting disciplined 10 times harder when you get home. <laughs> I can imagine. Right. I can only uh, imagine. Yeah. Gift so, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's just say if there was a slip up, it, it only happened once. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Were you a good student, Mike? Uh, you know, not, I guess not too bad. I mean, I had my ups and yeah. downs. I was, uh, how'd you do in French? <laughs> oh, uh, horribly. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm an incredible disappointment on that, you know, from that aspect. I'm, I'm not, I'm not bilingual. I'm an Anglophone with a, with a okay. Francophone last name. Right. And, right. um, so, uh, so yeah, no, I, I didn't, the, the language never stuck with me. My, my mother is, uh, is of Ukrainian descent right. and, uh, so she know, spoke English in the home, I imagine. So she up. spoke English in the home and I, I, I guess I could, from what I remember, I guess I could speak French until I was maybe five or six years old, but right, then right. You know, integrated into uh, the English school system and uh, small town Saskatchewan, quite honestly, being French wasn't all that popular in the early 80s. Right. Sure. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah. Was dad a uh, French speaker? Did he grow up uh, as a Francophone? Yes. Yeah, he did. Yes, uh, he did. Yeah. It leads for interesting dynamics, I'm sure, that the the dinner conversations in particular. What other yeah. kind of act, activities are you involved with? Sports, you know, uh theater, music? Yeah, so I mean, growing up, um, you know, I played hockey. That was that was the sport, uh, you know, and being the Canadian kid that I am. So <laughs> um, so yeah, I played hockey throughout my uh my teens up until uh 15 or 16. I don't remember exactly when, but, uh, I had a pretty major concussion as a, as a goaltender, um, playing some, uh, competitive hockey and that kind of put an end to, uh, put an end to hockey at that time. Um, started playing again as an adult, you know, in my late twenties. So I, uh, I took up the sport again and, uh, Took up a uh, a nice easy right wing position yeah, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a rec in a rec team that was a, a little bit lower risk than uh, right, than, than right. the uh, than the goaltending position, um, and uh, yeah, and and I grew up in a very musical home. I mean, my father loved music, and uh, you know, was raised on a very heavy dose of uh, Jethro Tull and Frank Zappa, and, uh, and and the Beatles. So uh, those it. were those were Sunday morning music blaring. Um, so really fond memories of that. Um, but my dad was a musician as well and, and he just uh-huh. liked, so there was always musical instruments, you know, in the home and, right, um, right. you know, laying around for us to to play around with, with when we were bored. And so I did take yeah. up guitar. I took up guitar when I was uh, 11 or 12 and, um, and, uh, actually, you know, got fairly okay at it through my teens and mm. actually was teaching guitar, uh, you know, oh, in the small cool. town that I grew up in and, uh, yeah. play, played in some bands in my twenties and, and, uh, yeah, had a lot of fun with it. So, uh, That's not, awesome. not too much time for it these days, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And then you don't yeah, lose I mean, it. You can pick it back up and play a few chords, I think. Huh? Oh yeah. I mean, you, you get muscle yeah. memory on on some of the things, sure. right. So, um, and then obviously, I mean, Calgary is a beautiful city, you know, uh, you know, net, right next to the mountains. So we do you know, do uh, a little bit of skiing and golfing and hiking and, and things like that when, uh, when, you know, when time allows. So. 
Now, I know you went on and got your uh, ME degree at the University of Saskatchewan. I, I, we have an engineer in, my, in our family as well. My son is one. I am okay. absolutely nowhere near that capable, uh, nor is his mother. And I think it kind of goes back a generation or two. But did you exhibit, you know, uh, some engineering prowess uh, when you were growing up where you were a tinker or, or as we'd call you a MacGyver in the U.S. Uh, in terms of uh, fixing things and so forth? Uh, you know, a little bit, I guess. I mean, you growing up in the farm, you're always exposed to, uh, yeah. you know, a lot having of mechanics, to, yeah. yeah. Having to keep things running and, uh, and right, especially, right. In a, especially on a hobby farm where we never had the latest and greatest. I mean, uh, of course. you know, yeah. late seventies, early eighties are the equipment that my father was using was from the fifties and, wow. uh, wow. And, a lot of it secondhand, I'm sure. Huh. All of it was secondhand, third, fifth, <laughs> seventh hand. I mean, yeah. Always breaking it's, down. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the, I, you know, my father, you know, he, he worked his ass off, but he also uh, was entertainment for the neighbors. Um, <laughs> because the, I can you know, imagine. The, the neighbors have the, you know, at the time, you know, the biggest, latest, greatest of everything. And, right, uh, and, right. and there's my father with, you know, 30, 40 year old equipment, uh, you know, chugging yeah. along. So the old international harvester. Out, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah so, I mean, I, I was, you know, I came from, a, you know, my, my mother's, uh, my mother's father and like my grandfather and, and, uh, uncles on that side of the family, they were all auto mechanics and my grandfather okay. used to, uh, used to own a, G- a general motors dealership. And right, so right. I was, you know, raised around, you know, when I went to visit them, I'd go hang out at the shop and, and, uh, you know, had little, little projects there and things that you'd tinker on and as well as sure. the farm. So, so actually my first career was, uh, was as an auto mechanic. So I worked in right. a general, I worked in a general motors garage actually for, uh, almost 10 years as an auto mechanic and, you know, I had my own right. big red, big red toolbox full of tools. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I spent some, I spent some time in the trades, uh, before I, uh, before I entered the engineering profession. Now, did you uh, choose that? I mean, at University of Saskatchewan, did you choose the school because of their engineering degree or was that just the the natural progression because that's a part of the country you grew up in? Uh, certainly the natural progression. But I mean, if you're yeah. in Western Canada, you know, there's, there's, you know, and it's always a, you know, it's a debate because the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the competition and, and rivalry between the engineering schools in Western Canada. But I mean, University of Alberta, University of Saskatchewan, yeah. Yeah. Are are you know fairly um, you know widely accepted as two of the, yeah, the solid best, schools, uh, two yeah. of the very solid yeah. engineering schools. I mean, Uni- University right. of Calgary is no slouch either, obviously. So, yeah. so being at U of S and and getting your mechanical engineering degree through there, it was uh, you know it's an easy choice. You know, you're not compromising anything. It's a good school, very well regarded, and uh, and a very very deep alumni, um, especially yeah. in Western Canada. So. Did you know when you went in that that's what you wanted to study? Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, I yeah. was I was entering unclassified studies in my late twenties, okay. just knowing that yeah. I needed to get a different career and get out of the trades. And um, mm-hmm. so I actually kind of went in on a bit of a, a shotgun blast approach. You know, I'm going to go in, and initially I thought I was going to teach automotive mechanics um, oh. at the tr- at the trade school. So I actually I applied right. to. Uh, I applied to uh, University of Saskatchewan uh, education program to to uh, to teach mechanics uh, in their vocational ed program that they had. And then I also applied to commerce and then I also applied to engineering. And, mm. um, you know, funny enough, I didn't get into education. Um, apparently I failed the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad and, is proud of that. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's still the, the best failure, I guess. I, th- I think I could have. Um, 
and then uh, and then I think I got into both commerce and uh, and engineering after my yeah. first first year of unclassified studies and uh, and took the engineering route. So right, right. But first I, job. I was, Go ahead, uh, first job out of out of engineering school, I worked yeah. for a consulting company, um, Worley Parsons, big Worley global, Parsons, yeah, yeah right. big global yeah. Uh, engineering firm. So uh, you know, at the time the uh, one of the managers at Worley Parsons was a, uh, a University of Saskatchewan alumni, and you know, oh. in uh, they were recruiting heavily uh, at U of on S. Campus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so they had the on-campus uh, recruiting sp- uh, sprees, and so I mean, uh, it was a pretty attractive, uh, you know, I, I think recruit for them. There was a few yeah. of us in in our uh, graduating class that were uh, mature students, you know, so. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, I got my, I finished my engineering degree when I was 35. So, um, so, you know, there, there was a few of us that were, you know, up in that age bracket that were, um, I guess that were being pursued by a number of companies. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. And the move to Calgary, right, with them, or did, or did you stay in Saskatchewan for that? Uh, no, I moved show? to moved to Calgary. So I was right. recruited in the fall of uh, I think 2007, and uh, and moved right. to Calgary. Uh, uh, moved to Calgary in the middle of final exams um, w- with my wife at the time, who was pregnant, right. and wow. uh, moved to Calgary in April 2008. So, did they move you into management positions right away, or do they start you as an indiv- individual contributor? How, how did your career uh, get started there? You definitely started out as an individual contributor and, uh, yeah. and, you know, worked through the project ranks and, um, right. you know, started, uh, you know, started small. The, the, the engineering profession is actually has a lot of, uh, parallels to the trades where you sort of do this apprenticeship program as a, as an right. engineer in training and, uh, you, uh, you know, you get your, your, um, your technical foundation in your, in your craft mm-hmm. or in, in, you know, in your discipline, you know, specifically that you're, uh, that you're training in. And so, uh, yeah, I was at Worley Parsons for, uh, for almost four years. Yeah. Yeah. And did they give you management experience there or did you get that later in your career as you moved on? Uh, that came later. Uh, yeah. so yeah. the, um, you know, the same engineering manager, uh, that recruited me into Worley Parsons actually left and, and had his own startup, company uh oh. startup engineering company and oh. uh so he recruited a couple of us from Morley Parsons fairly early on that was Ridgeline right Ridgeline yeah engineering. that was Ridgeline yeah so yeah. um so Derek Kennig the um you know the the CEO and, and founder of Ridgeline started uh when he started that he recruited uh you know myself and one of my colleagues in right. very very early on in the uh you know in the in the inception of that company and um yeah, and then we kind of went for a, a bit of a ride with that. So I would say that's where the the leadership and yeah. uh, and and management experience came. Not not necessarily through formal training, but certainly the I would say the school of hard knocks. <laughs> what was the job when you first started managing people there, Mike? Uh, it was project engineering, project management. Yeah, yeah. Right. And was so, the team of of fellow engineers? Were you managing, you know, uh, folks that were doing a, a little bit of a different job that you had in the past? What you know, kind of what was the structure of that? I mean, in small matrix organization where you've got right. a number of different, uh, you know, multidiscipline engineers that you're that are working on your team. Yeah. So, you know, anywhere from a team of you know two or three people up to maybe at that time, you know, ten or twelve. Um, you know, managing different projects and, uh, you know, getting on client sites, uh, you know, during construction and, and through yeah. the engineering design phase of things. So, yeah, very exciting, very fast paced. Um, yeah. 
you know, certainly very dynamic atmospheres. So, I know from my son, engineers tend to have a pretty strong sense of self and um, their ideas about how things work. I can't imagine <laughs> leading them and managing them was easy in your early days. Did you did you run into some you know encounters of a few stubborn engineers along the way? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, and 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 that's actually you know that that's something that they they kind of hammer into you during engineering school is that that's you know right. to, they you know it's it's certainly the you know part of the boot camp and they want to develop that character so that you have that's the strength right. and, you know strength of character and. And of opinion and uh, you know confidence in in the work that you're doing and and uh, and you know the due diligence and everything else that comes with uh, you know ensuring the you know the safety of uh, you know of the things that you're designing and and, you know, and the the environment and the and the stakeholders that uh, will be using it. So, right, right. Does it make it uh, seem a little bit like herding blind cats in the night, or uh, how did you? <laughs> <laughs> what were some of those early leadership lessons like? That you you know, got you ahead, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can never communicate too much. That's for sure. Um, mm, and yeah. and just making sure that uh, you know everybody understands what their roles are and what they're, yeah, you know, clear on task and and clear on schedule and uh, and and making sure that they're heading in the right direction. Um, you know, right. don't tell them where. Don't tell them how to do it. Tell them how to get there. Right? Uh, yeah. Or at least point I, them in the right direction. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And you know, it's a it's a people business at the end of the day. Right. And right. Um, you, you really have to make sure that uh, you've got the right people and, and, you know, a team that can work together. So now you've been just a little shy of seven years uh, and now at the top of IELF Consulting Engineers in, in Canada. But you started as a senior project engineer. You came in at a, I guess, a, a, a fairly low level. I'm not sure it was an entry level position. But, you know, what was the attraction to make that change? And uh, did you kind of have your eyes on the corner office when you joined back in, you know, August of 14? Well, it was actually through acquisition. So, oh, was it? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, ILF uh, Consultants acquired Ridgeline Engineering in the, in the ah. middle of 2014. Got and it. Got um, it. so, you know, ILF being an international, uh, you know, global inter- engineering consulting firm uh, with with European roots and 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 base operations, uh, yeah. they, you know, they had a they had a vision that they were you know attempting to execute on with the uh, acquisition of Ridgeline and and. Um, were there any other operations in Canada at the time, or or Ridgeline then became ILF Canada? I mean, Ridgeline essentially became ILF. There was yeah. a there was a, yeah. a, a like a, a small skeleton crew of, uh, of of people here from uh, right. from ILF that had come over from uh, uh, well one, uh, one specifically from Austria that had come over for a little while uh, yeah. to try to start yeah. things up. Um, and, and and yeah, I mean, they, you know, ILF brought in some uh, some some project managers from from Germany and uh, you know attempted to uh, integrate Ridgeline into sort of the ILF yeah. vision of how things were going to be done, which was, you know, at the time uh, quite a bit different from the so way imagine, things were yeah. normally done uh, in Calgary. So that that came with some uh, some you know important lessons learned for um, you know for those of us at Ridgeline who were learning how to work with an international company and, right, and also, right. you know, le- good lessons for ILF as to how, you know, business gets done in, in Canada or Western Canada compared to, um, you know, Europe and uh, some of the other, you know, locations that ILF works in. So it, it, it was a tremendous. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say it was a, tr- it was a tremendous learning, uh, you know, uh, uh, learning opportunity at the end of yeah. the day to to go through that acquisition and the uh, the integration you know through an international company and uh, 
and uh, you know it certainly you know wasn't uh, wasn't easy for either side uh, at all times but um um but yeah it it's it was uh, it was a really at the end of the day you know rewarding experience once yeah, you uh, when, once once uh, once things calm down <laughs> right right what were some of the integration challenges in the early days um i think certainly there was you know you you have your normal personality conflicts you've got um you know you've got some culture conflicts um, and so working through those, um, certainly, uh, took, uh, you know, tremendous amount of energy from, from both the, uh, you know, both the leadership side from ILF and, sure. uh, and the, and the Ridgeline team. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, at the end of the day, there was, uh, you know, a lot of lessons learned for sure. Um, in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, market strategy and, and, right. uh, and, let's say early assumptions on on uh, how ILF uh, thought uh, that you know we would be doing business here so things definitely uh, you know have have you know taken some time to uh, get to that uh, normalization period but uh, you know yeah. we're we're at, we're certainly at a place now where the integration is 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 well well established and sure. uh, and everybody's uh, you know pretty happy with how things are going now so had they done other international acquisitions prior to uh uh, buying Ridgeline, um, a few, uh, yeah. but not but not many. I mean, ILF yeah. being uh, being a, a privately held uh, family company, right. uh, it, right. it's it's a it's a very organic growth model, mm-hmm. and um, so that's the uh, you know that's the uh, that's the framework that um, that the uh, that the overall business strategy and and uh, and uh, growth drivers are are launched under. So. Um, right. So not not a tremendous amount of acquisition, and that was right. certainly the 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 only one in North America. Yeah. And you've continued to grow organically since then. So from those yeah. early days of the two or three of you that got started, how many employees today in Canada? So we have right now about uh, 150 wow. people engaged on yeah. projects, wow. uh, and that's that's a complement of you know full time staff, um, you know casual. Uh, Casual consultants and uh, and and contractors. So, um, so it's a very dynamic workforce. Uh, but currently, I think sitting around 150 people engaged on projects. Yeah, awesome. And did the um, the original founder of Ridgeline that brought you over and the colleague that also joined you are they still with the company or have they moved on? Uh, they've moved on. I mean, yeah. very very entrepreneurial in 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 nature is uh, you know uh, Derek is, and so he's got other right. ventures that he's started up since then. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Great. And what would you say is kind of the biggest shift in your leadership style, uh, particularly over these last, you know, six or seven years since the acquisition? Yeah, I think, you know, going from, you know, immature leaders do tend to, uh, I would say, you know, lean towards that micromanagement, uh, you know, very task level, um, you know, supervision, Uh, certainly, you know, learning how to how to trust your team, you know, making sure that you're uh, just um, monitoring versus, uh, you know, micromanaging and right, uh, you right. know, ma- making that transition. And, and, and part of that, you know, when I, uh, when I did my MBA, that was a, that was a huge, you know, another big growth, um, um, you know, step for, for how I, you know, viewed leadership and, and how things, uh, how things needed to be done. So um, yeah, definitely. Hey, you- You've done that rather recently, right? Well, that was prior to actually becoming president. Uh, tell us about that. Did you take time off or did you do your MBA while you were still working in ILF? 
Uh, I did my MBA while working full time. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. so it was uh, it was uh, an executive program at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, and uh, Kingston or uh, Queen's has a has a really good program that mm. uh, with with virtual campuses uh, across Canada that allow um, you know uh, people to uh, to participate in the program, and uh, you know they have a, a a campus here actually in downtown Calgary where you can. You know, you sit in and you take your your uh, your classes. Uh, you know, with your with your team there. So right. I, I think uh, at the time, so 2016 and 2017, when I was in the program, uh, there were 24 of us in Calgary um, wow. out of the roughly 75 uh, enrolled across Canada in the program. And so we'd then travel to Kingston, or um, you know, there's a couple international trips as well that came with that. But we traveled yeah. to Kingston for our uh, for our residential sessions. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, um, uh, probably not dislike or unlike your, uh, uh, undergraduate years. I I imagine you were a little bit older than some of the other MBA students. Actually, no, same age. Everybody was pretty, everybody's pretty, uh, pretty much in the same, uh, the same vintage. Um, yeah, the, the, those, those programs, um, and cater I think to the executives they, for the most part. Yeah, that's right. They cater to yeah. uh, established professionals, and right. you know, there's there's an interview process, and there's uh, you know have to you have to submit your your resume and work experience, and you you have to be accepted in the program because you're going to be learning from your from your peers as much as right. you're going to be learning from your your, uh, your professors. So. Um, you know, I was very fortunate. I had a very good team and, uh, cohort. You know, yeah. yeah, an amazing cohort. So, yeah. uh, yeah, we're still in touch, uh, you know, quite often. So yeah, it was really good. And, and did you specialize with your MBA in particular discipline? Uh, I mean, finance, but it's, uh, right. you know, it's a pretty broad based program and, uh, it's the, the specialization comes, uh, you know, towards the end, but, you know, probably the most, um, you know, rewarding thing about the, uh, the, the program itself was the, uh, there was an option to, uh, to go to Shanghai, China and do a, oh, uh, cool. and do a study tour at, uh, the, uh, China, Europe international business school. And nice. so, you know, doing, doing, participating in lectures, uh, in Shanghai at, at that business school, that was, um, you know, that was, that was something else that was easily the most, um, you know, re- rewarding part of the program from a, from a richness of learning and, and what you came out of it with, um, a yeah. whole new appreciation yeah. of, uh, of what goes on there. So. That's awesome. Now you've had, I think about four or five jobs prior to becoming uh, president and CEO of, of ILF Canada. Were you kind of on that trajectory? Is that something that you had in the back of your mind? Were you being groomed for that? Was, you know, kind of going and getting the MBA part of that process or, uh, you know, did it come about more organically as the, as the business grew? I would say it was, it was quite organic. I mean, mm-hmm. it, professional services, uh, you know, especially in the engineering side of things in, in Western Canada, tend to be focused on the oil and gas business and and that's right. you know that's what ILF's core business was in in uh, in Canada and um you know it's certainly uh with the downturn of uh of uh the oil and gas uh, you know industry in Canada you know starting in you know the fall of 2014 um the uh you know the work just wasn't wasn't there uh, right. the way it was during the boom years of you sure. know 2004 to to uh you know 11, 11 12 14 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, so right. um 
so basically the MBA was, uh, was something that, uh, that I looked at as a, um, uh, you know, an opportunity to maybe diversify my skill set and, uh, and, you know, look for, you know, you know, potential, you know, contingent opportunities, you know, depending on what the industry did. So, so sure. we were, we, our, our headcount fluctuated, you know, quite a bit, like, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the other professional service companies in, uh, in you know, in Western Canada that uh, right. were, were in that industry. So we were definitely bouncing up and down and, uh, and, uh, sometimes feast, sometimes famine. Um, right. So sure. there was, there was some, there was some lean years. So, um, so yeah, you know, I guess to answer your question, it wasn't something that I was particularly targeting. Um, but, uh, it, uh, it was an opportunity that, uh, that, that came available yeah. and I thought, well, you know, I've, uh, nobody knows the company at this point better than I do. That's and, right. um, yeah. you know, as far as, uh, you know what we have uh you know what we had uh you know left at the time and at the end of 2018 so um i guess being able to um you know to to lead a, a you know and lead a reorganization and a bit of a transformation and how we were going to do things um you know looked like uh you know looked like a good opportunity so so it's been um you know it's been good our our head count went from you know roughly you know 40 40 five people active on projects mm. up to the uh, 150 where we are wow. today. So, so what, what's, what kind of shift kind of shift has gone on strategically in what you've done? Because the, it hasn't really improved a whole lot since 14, <laughs> right? I mean, there's still a <laughs> lot of challenges there, but have you moved kind of in your consulting practice to another area or what's, what's kind of spurred that growth of these last few years? Well, we, we did some, uh, we, we brought in some, some fairly well networked, um, uh, you know, individuals to join the team and, uh, and start to rebuild, uh, some of our, uh, some of our business areas. Mm-hmm, and that, mm-hmm. that allowed us to secure some, some work that wasn't within our grasp before. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that really, um, you know, gave us a really, really good bench strength that we could build on. And, uh, and so it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun, uh, to, yeah. to, to get it up there. And, uh, you know, about half of it's happened during COVID. So that's, uh, that's, ah, that's, that's uh, certainly been its own, uh, its own monster, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah but and it's been, it's been rewarding. ILF is still privately owned, right? Still uh, in, in European, obviously in its, in its headquarters. Um, how do you kind of roll out a company culture in that type of a mode? I mean, you know, it's, it's still only six, seven years ago before, you know, Ridgeline was purchased and, you know, you've got, I'm sure several of the players have stayed on and so forth. And, you know, was there a cultural shift or was there a, a pretty strong cultural alignment and, and, you know, moving forward, you know, h- how does that kind of work as you've, you know, kind of gone through these integration issues and, and become a fully, you know, functional subsidiary in that regard. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the cultural alignment, um, you know, basically we, we've got, you know, three main pillars that we, that we have to execute towards to ensure that our, our clients are going to come back, uh, and, mm-hmm. and do more business with us. So, you know, transparency, trust and, and, and quality. And, right. and that's the, you know, those are the, uh, those are the pillars that we, uh, you know, constantly, uh, you know, base our decisions on how we're executing our projects, how we're making decisions, uh, you know, within the organization and also at a, at a project level when we're, when we're interfacing with clients. So, you know, at the end of the day, we are, you know, absolutely focused on, you know, ensuring that we're doing what's best for the projects, what's best for the clients. It may not always be what's best for, you know, ILFs, you know, bottom line, 
Uh, but at the end of the day, as a as a partner in industry and a partner to our stakeholders on the consulting side, you know, our we're here for it's the long game. Mm. You know, we're not yeah. here for uh, um, you know necessarily chasing a, a you know a quarterly dividend call and and right. short term right. short term view. We're we're here for uh, um, you know we're here for a long time and we're going to be part of the energy transition that's already happening. And uh, we're contributing to that on on various levels with our stakeholders and uh, and yeah. governments and and uh, industry. So, so as far as you know, the culture, we're making sure that our team knows that they're part of the, you know, part of the reason why we're successful and part of the reason uh, and and part of the uh, the transition team and and how we're going to be uh, viewing uh, the new energy going forward. So. Yeah. Well, and your recent growth speaks to that success. So congratulations on that. What You know, you've obviously been staffing up and uh, it looks like some of it's come this year and obviously in the last couple of years. What, what, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, Mike? I mean, culture first and foremost. Um, yeah. You know, we have to make sure that, you know, the people that we're bringing in, you know, have, have the right attitude, um, you know, communication skills. You know, you can, you can be a subject matter expert and you can, um, you know, have a lot of the uh, the technical background, but um, you know, if you're unable to communicate or or execute against, you know, what the what the end requirements are for for the project or for the client, then you know, it's it's not a good utilization of uh, you know of talent. So we're right. we're very much focused on making sure that in addition to the technical competence um, that is a uh, you know a minimum requirement that there's the right attitude and and culture fit mm. to make sure that. Um, you know, to make sure that our staff are, you know, constantly looking for opportunities to, uh, you know, improve our clients, um, you know, performance on their project, improve yeah. costs, improve, uh, you know, uh, schedule outcomes, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, there's a lot of, you know, there's always a lot of drivers on on project delivery and, and there's certainly, uh, you know, in this environment, uh, a lot of pressure. Um, to deliver both on the cost and schedule side, so um, we're, we're certainly uh, making sure that we have to have the right people to uh, to be uh, to be focused on that. So, yeah, there's a lot of talk about energy transition, right, in the oil yes. and gas industry and a lot of renewables. Yep. Is that become a, a bigger part of your uh, of your offering of your consulting work? Yeah, we we started our, um, I guess we started efforts getting close to a year ago. Um, shortly after I took over to, uh, to start putting the bench strength in place, uh, the industry contacts in place and, uh, engagement opportunities and, uh, and activities where we can, you know, ensure that we can, uh, you know, come to the table and, mm -hmm. uh, and contribute to the discussions. You know, what, what I, what I like the most about, you know, being part of ILF is the, you know, the energy transition and you know, elsewhere in the world has, has you know, started, five, 10, you know, 15 hmm. years ago, depending where you're at. So right. my, you know, the colleagues that I have in, uh, you know, in, in Europe, Germany, Austria, um, you know, they've been working on, they're on ahead energy. of the curve. Yeah. They're ahead yeah. of the curve. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So the energy right. transition started there many, you know, quite a That's few right. years ago compared yeah. to us. So, so, you know, we're, we're really fortunate and having a lot of fun bringing our colleagues, um, you know, from Europe into the conversations here in, in Canada to say, mm. okay, yeah. You know, what what did we learn? You know, yeah, right. what you know what what did we learn in Germany that we can pass yeah, on to? Yeah, and to do our, better this time around. Yeah, and and you know and yeah. and yeah, exactly. And and right. uh, and give some of that feedback. And uh, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of uh, 
technology providers um, based out of Europe that we have relationships with. So, you know, being able to leverage that into the market here and and provide the interface management and uh, and um, it's it's not something that uh, a lot of our competitors have. So yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, looking forward kind of through, through, through the pandemic or whatever the next second, third or fourth phase may be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. what do you, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in the industry? Is it, is it the energy transition? Is it, you know, um, getting some of the basics right? I mean, if you had to kind of encapsulate, you know, the industry, you know, where you think it's going to be five, six, 10 years from now, um, what are going to, what are going to be the biggest changes you'll you expect to see, Mike? You know, I think the, the biggest changes are going to be how how we end up, you know, using energy at the end of the day. You know, we're very fortunate in North America to have an abundance of natural resources. That's right. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I think you know, what what we're seeing and and starting to uh, starting to live through is the the transition of how we use them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whether it's the end product, whether it's the end use, whether it's you know consumerism on on a whole, and 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 how that uh, evolves. Um, but I think how natural resources are used um, is is going to start to transform, and it, it's not a question of whether or not we will still need natural resources or or hydrocarbons or right. uh, or green energy, um, but how the energy is going to be distributed to end users and uh, and consumed is is going to change yeah. uh, without yeah. a doubt. So whether it be um, you know whether it be electricity converted to green hydrogen. Uh, right. And and inserted into or you know into the uh, you know into the uh, gas grid or whether it's natural gas converted to hydrogen to you know, to uh, you know going to transport uh, uh, vehicles you know there's there's a number of things that are that that are going to have to happen and are starting to happen right. to uh, you know to meet the um, the the climate and uh, GHG reduction goals that uh, right. that are that are in front of us so. Yeah, great. Well, you'll be a key component and a player, I'm sure, in making that happen. Mike, we're, we're just about out of time. You've been very generous. Um, we always ask one last question, and that's, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give our listeners? Uh, you know, maybe someone that's got their eyes in the corner office. Maybe they've gone through an acquisition like you did and maybe had some <laughs> uncertainty about what the future would be. I'm sure you had those moments. And, uh, you know, what would you say to those folks that uh, are progressing in their career? Yeah, I mean, don't be uh, don't be afraid to change your mind. Um, mm. You know, uh, don't get too hung up on uh, what you think the path should look like because there's a pretty good chance you know you're wrong or it's going to change or you're going to have to pivot. So, um, you know, don't get too fixed on what you think the stay end flexible. goal should. Stay flexible. Yeah. You know, the yeah. the the opportunity you think you're chasing, um, you know. It may not be the one that you that that you <laughs> land that you land on and end up uh, you know enjoying or finding rewarding. So yeah, um, yeah. you know certainly stay flexible, stay open minded, and don't uh, don't put yourself uh, don't paint yourself into a corner. Yeah, have a plan B. Huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like- Mike Lou, President and CEO of ILF Consultants Canada. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. 
We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.